Hello, neighbor. Welcome back to Mojave Memories. Stories and essays written by Annalise Cooper. Music and editing done by Cattell Byers. We're glad you joined us here in North Joshua Tree on Copper Mountain Mesa. But before we get started, we'd like to thank our sponsor. This podcast was created using the Anchor app. Anchor is a free podcast platform that allows anyone to record their own podcast free of charge. So even if you're not an audio engineer, this free and easy to use app makes it simple. The Anchor app even distributes your podcast for you for free. So go to anchor.fm and download the app today to get started for free. Hi, it's Annalise Kuyper, and before I read you the next chapter of Memory Dam, which is entitled Unfriendly Neighbors, I just want to catch you up to date or up to speed again with some of the characters who are going to start appearing at this point. So um, you'll remember in chapters three and four, Sky Valley and Copper Mountain Mesa, that you were introduced to... Mary, uh, who ended up becoming my foster daughter and adopted daughter, um, and her mother had just died two days previously, and I sort of grew into being her mother over the years. And um, I just wanted to say about her, Mary, her name was Mary Bell, is Mary Bell. Mary's mother, Juanita, was half Mescalero Apache Indian, although the entire maternal side of the family adamantly denies that, stating the family is Mexican and English. Looking into Mary's eyes and knowing her fierceness, I believe the Apache story. She was 12 when I met her. She was so sweet and I felt so very sorry for her. She seemed to be numb and uncomprehending. And soon after I met the Bells, I moved into my house on Copper Mountain Mesa and the Bells kind of moved in with me slowly over the months until their stuff had taken over my house and I felt I was being buried. (laughs) Mary features in probably all, if not certainly many of the stories that you're about to hear. Mary's father, John Bell, who I met in Jean's house with his daughter, Mary, he was an extraordinary man, a Vietnam vet. He was a major in the army and did seven tours. He was also in some sort of high security intelligence branch for years. Or not. (laughs) It's hard to believe anything, he said, as it turned out. But before I knew he was a liar, a con artist, a sexual predator, and quite possibly a murderous monster... I thought he was amazing. We talked and laughed a lot. We hauled water with all the neighborhood children in the back of the truck, squirted each other with hoses at the well. He taught me hand-to-hand combat tricks and how to fight, even kill with a short stick. He taught me so much about how to survive in the desert and he encouraged my native spirituality. But he betrayed us all and it's hard not to hate him for what he did. And then I also want to remind you of Mary's brother, Matthew. Mary's older brother or half-brother, as it turned out. I met Matt at his mother Juanita's funeral on December 17th, 1993, which I talked about in the Copper Mountain Mesa chapter. He was a dark, brooding young man who never smiled. He lived at my house for a while, on and off, but he was terribly neglected by John Bell and became a very angry individual. 
When he was about 16, he went to live with his grandma Douglas in Newberry Springs. Okay, so now I'm going to read you chapter five, entitled Unfriendly Neighbors, and it's from about 1994. Um, and the one other character I want to mention is the neighbor who much of this chapter is about. Uh, he was a Vagos motorcycle club biker, just a really brutal man who called himself Animal. So when I'm talking about Animal, just imagine this huge, hairy, obese, straggly, mean man. <laughs> and he lived just south of me. All right, so here we go. <clears throat> Our new neighbors turned out to be most unfriendly. We held a small party on our first 4th of July with a bunch of neighborhood youngsters riding in the water truck down to the well, hauling water back to our leaking spa and shrieking with delight. The neighbor came over the next morning with his shotgun visible in the front seat of his truck, accusing us of having a raucous, debauched, drunken brawl the night before. He told us in no uncertain terms that new people were not welcome around here, especially women with screaming children and dogs. I loved to play my huge Kenyan bass drum. I would sit on the sand with my legs wrapped around it to hold it in place while I thudded on it as hard as I could. The sound was thunderous and carried for miles. Early one evening, I was banging on my drum when the neighbor started firing shots at me. I heard several bullets whizzing overhead and then one hit the electric pole 10 feet to my right. I stopped playing and lay low until he stopped shooting. Why were these people so violent and hateful and how was I going to protect myself? I was afraid to call the police because I had been warned that people didn't appreciate that around here and I feared retribution. Besides, I didn't have a phone and I didn't think the cops had a chance of finding me out here on these unmarked roads anyway. One of our dogs had a litter of puppies and one sunny morning, a bunch of neighborhood kids took the puppies out in the front yard to play in the sand. Our horrible neighbor, Animal, who lived on the two acres immediately south of my property, had just come home. One of the puppies wandered onto his unfenced property, and Animal grabbed a 22 rifle and shot Rinkalina in the hindquarters, striking her femoral artery. She dropped right there and bled to death in front of all of us while Animal stood holding his rifle threateningly, daring any of us to tend to our dog. Terrified children emitting muted sobs as they watched their puppy die did nothing to soften Animal's hate-filled Vagos biker gang heart. Finally, I walked around Animal's property to go over to the neighbors to call the police. Animal spent a few nights in jail and I lived in fear for our lives if he ever decided to retaliate. By now, it was late in the summer of 1994. John Bell, his 15-year-old son, Matthew, and his 13-year-old daughter, Mary, who I reminded you about earlier, pretty much lived full-time at my house, as did their two Rottweilers, Angel and Diablo. One evening after dark, I was outside with Matthew, trying to persuade him not to take off after he and his dad had one of their disagreements. 
Matthew did not want to live in my house. He wanted to live in their family house in Wonder Valley and go to school every day in 29 Palms. He was on the verge of walking home, at least 20 miles away, and I was trying to persuade him to stay. At that moment, Animal pulled into his driveway, his headlights swinging across my yard. Diablo raced across the field, barking furiously and dissuaded Animal from getting out of his truck. I called the fiercely protective dog back and he came immediately. I'm sick of you and your fucking children and your motherfucking dogs, Animal shrieked. I'm coming up there right now and I'm gonna shoot all you motherfuckers. Come on over, animal, I shrieked back, and bring your fucking gun so I can shove it up your ass. There was a thundering silence for long seconds. I held my breath, listening keenly for audio cues out of the darkness. I heard animal's front door close quietly, then silence. I waited a long time before finally going back inside. Certain animal would not be paying us a visit that night. Some weeks later, Mary and a friend came rushing into the house after dark, panting furiously, barely able to get a word out. Something about lights in the west field, night vision binoculars and assault weapons pointing our way with four, maybe six men less than 200 yards out. I instantly believed them, turned off all the lights and instructed them to lay flat on the floor. I had no idea what to do. I'm just a little sissy lala when it comes down to it. Never been in combat in my life. I don't own guns or any weapons, really. I stepped out onto the porch. I thought if these armed people had night vision equipment, there wasn't much point in trying to hide. So I walked to the front gate and stood there for a while, gazing out to the west into the darkness. I sensed their fidgeting. I thought I heard whispering. Suddenly, I stormed off the porch, striding up the driveway towards them. I stopped about halfway to my property entrance, claimed my space, cupped my mouth, and let out the most blood-curdling series of coyote howls, screams, shrieks, and giggles I had ever heard myself emit. First, there was shocked silence. Then I heard boots running south, away from my house. Ha! Who needs guns? I felt myself go quite limp and saggy at the knees. I hardly had the strength to walk back to the house. We did not call the cops. Another neighbor, Oscar, was the last straw when it came to horrible neighbors. He was an unpleasant, crude, straggly-haired man with no social skills whatsoever. He was a friend of the Bells and would come to my house where he proceeded to desecrate a beautifully carved wooden statue that I had brought back from Kenya of an old, anatomically correct African man. Oscar stuck an arrowhead into the top of Mazay's skull and then accidentally broke the old man's neck. I was absolutely speechless with fury, dumbfounded by the disrespect shown to my sacred cultural treasure. Soon after, I found out that Oscar had raped Mary. Then I was filled with black rage. I wanted this man to suffer for what he had done. Mary begged me not to tell the cops. In Africa, we had ways of taking care of things. 
I found one of those straw paper plate holders and gathered the darkest, murkiest, meanest looking rocks I could find, placing them around the outside of the circle. I put the most sinister looking one in the middle. Then I gathered dog hair and tufts of nasty dead vegetation, arranging it all for maximum ugly and jarring effect. I announced my intent was for it to punish Oscar. With circular motions, I gave this ugly Oscar thing up to the punishment committee in the sky to be tried, judged, and sentenced. Sometime later, I found out that Oscar had fallen backwards off a cliff out past Wonder Valley. It was a long way down, and apparently his whole consciousness was filled with mazé, my African carving, as he fell in what seemed like slow motion. Oscar was never so terrified. He truly believed mazé was going to kill him. His leg was broken when he finally hit the dirt, and he had to drag himself for miles with no water until he reached the road. Afterwards, his leg would not heal and the pain was excruciating. Infection spread and Oscar feared for his life. A message reached me in a roundabout desert kind of way. A man approached me at Sam's Market in Joshua Tree. Oscar is very sorry, the man told me. Please take the juju spell off him. He'll never do bad things again. So I unraveled the spellbinding creation I had made, satisfied that justice for Mazé had been served. Oscar spent over a decade in prison for raping Mary and apparently became an avid Christian. I became known far and wide as the Juju Lady by all my mean-hearted, superstitious, tweaker neighbors. But finally, neighbors stopped shooting at and terrorizing me, my children, and my animals. And I still don't own a gun. Turns out that firing off a healthy dose of superstitious terror is a pretty powerful weapon. <laughs> I love that. Don't put any juju on me, baby. <laughs> um, one of the things that came to my mind when you were reading, I was thinking, oh, God, thank God Annalise wasn't my next-door neighbor because I am so super sensitive to noise and sound. And I wonder if, unbeknownst to you, you know, accidentally, I mean, you know, being out there with a drum and drumming, and I, I might go a little ballistic myself. I'm sure I was a horrible neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't ever do stuff like that anymore. But at the time, I mean, I was just, you know, you understand, I just was having all these sexual abuse memories. I was really half crazed. I was, you know, oh, yeah, I did crazy shit. What can I say? I think people move to the desert here and they don't realize how sound travels. Oh, I know. Uh, we have a few people in the neighborhood that like to run generators. I know. And those generators disturb the entire valley. They do. They do. And this place would be perfectly silent. I, it would. Their goddamn generators you are can, going. You and can, it drives you cray-cray. Yes, and you can actually hear the electricity in the wires when yes. the generators aren't going. But, you know, in self-defense, I would play my drum for maybe a half hour at yeah. once a week, and they go every night from, what, dusk to dawn and later. Oh, yeah. And then the, that horrible g guitar player or whatever the hell...
you know, I don't mean to be mean. I don't even know if he's playing a guitar or a flute, but these ghastly sounds come wailing over the airwaves at four o'clock in the morning. Yeah, Who the guy, hell is that? Some guy's doing his guitar practice at four oh o'clock in the morning. God. It sounds like he's sitting on his porch and just cray cray. Anyway, coming at you with lots of sand and sunlight. Until next week, Cattell and I say stay well, neighbors.